of uh, Luke chapter 1. As uh, Pastor Brandon said, we're only, what, 10 days away from Christmas, and so if you have some things to do, to do yet, Amazon is still open, Prime shipping only two days, you can still time. And we don't even have our Christmas cards yet. We're still waiting on our ordered Christmas cards. Some of you have your Christmas cards out at Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't hate you, <laughs> but you do annoy me. <laughs> Lots of things to be done before December 25th, it seems like. When I was a boy, and, and maybe you can identify with this, when I was a kid, I the run-up to Christmas was something unusual. The anticipation, the, the looking forward to that, and, and it's like whatever else is going wrong in your life uh, can be dealt with or even um, tuned out because of what is coming. And of course, when you're a kid, it's, it's presents. I remember um, being so consumed with uh, wanting to know what I got that I actually started, when I was about nine or 10, I started looking in my parents' closets. And, all right, anybody else, fess up. Anybody else go looking for their gifts? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Some delayed hands going up, a conscience is hitting. Just wanted to see, I wanted to know, and it, but it was disappointing. I did that about two years and realized, well, that's no fun. Christmas Day, you have to kind of put on an act. Ooh. I didn't know. But it's, it's so exciting as a child. It's like it colors all of life, even school. It, it, it improves school. And, you know, if you stop reading the news or looking at online news sites and you tune out your friend's description of the latest tragedy in her life, you can almost revisit those childhood years and the, the idea that uh, all is right with the world, that the world is right side up. And of course it's not. A couple of months ago, a Lifetime uh, channel began running a story called Abducted, the Mary Stauffer story. And when I saw its advertisement, I saw that it was a true story. And so I Googled it because I have some uh, Stauffers in my extended family, and it intrigued me. And Mary and her husband, Irvin, were Baptist missionaries back in the late 1970s, early 1980s in uh, the Philippines. And they were home, uh, 79, early 80, uh, on furlough, and Irv was teaching at Bethel College and Seminary in Minnesota. And Mary and her eight-year-old daughter, Beth, had gone to the beauty salon for the um, last time before they were returning to the Philippines. And as they came out, a man came up behind them with a gun and said, I need a ride. And they got in her car and they drove off. He took them to a secluded area, uh, got out, opened the trunk and stuffed them in the trunk. And then he took off. He took them to his place of business first until it was nightfall and he could go back to his house and sneak them into his house. And he opened a closet door and stuffed the two of them in this tiny closet. And it was clear he had been prepared for this. There was a small throw rug there. There were two throw pillows. 
and there was a bucket. And that became their home for the next 53 days. It turned out that Ming Sen Shu had been a student of Mary's when she was an algebra teacher at a local high school, ninth grade. And he had become obsessed with her, had stalked her for about 10 years, had actually tried to snatch her about four other times, including a break into her in-law's house one time and held her in-laws captive for several hours before fleeing and threatening to kill them if they ever reported the crime. In the days ahead, he would take Mary out every day and he would rape her. And he would threaten her that if she didn't do exactly what he wanted, he would kill her daughter. And threaten the daughter if she didn't do exactly what he wanted, he would kill mother. On day 53, Mary figured out a way to get the pin out of the hinge of the door, opened the door, and they called the sheriff. And they came and were rescued. And about several minutes later, they arrested Ming at his place of business. Today, Ming's about 68 years old. He's still in prison, um, not only for rape and kidnapping charges, but a little six-year-old boy spotted him putting them in the trunk. And his curiosity got the best of him. He came close and Ming snatched him and eventually killed him. And you would think of all of that horror, if you experienced that, if you went through that, that would define your life. That would be the lens through which you would look at everything in life. It's interesting, uh, just recently, they did a uh, mother and daughter, Mary, who's now 75, and her daughter, Beth, did an interview, you can find it on uh, YouTube. Brief interview, and at the end of the interview, Beth made this comment. She said, we, we've been blessed, uh, we both had uh, great lives. The, uh, her parents came back from the Philippines in 81, came back permanently. And she said, we've, we've enjoyed wonderful lives. And she said, I, th- I think maybe having a wonderful life after this is the best way not to let someone like that win. And I thought about how that might be true of us. My guess is that we could go around here with a microphone this morning and say, what's going on in your life? What's good and what's not so good? What's exciting for you, but what trauma are you going through or something that's happening in your life that just colors everything else? And Jesus has come to us to remind us that there's a future life that is far more wonderful than this one will ever be that's going to make us look back on this and say, evil, wickedness, injustice, sorrow, grief didn't win. We want a wonderful life today, but we've not been promised that. What we have been promised is a wonderful tomorrow. And Christmas, like Easter, reminds us of that soon coming tomorrow. Luke chapter 1, we're reading, uh, Pastor Kyle started last week on a a series of three sermons on Mary's song, Mother of Jesus, and the song that she um, wrote, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse uh, 46, and we'll read the whole song again, but our focus today will be on verses 50 to 53. Uh, You may, depending on your Bible translation, you may have at the top of this section the Magnificat, 
and may wonder what that is. This is, uh, the song is often called that. That's the first word in this song in the Latin translation, Magnificat. <clears throat> Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich man of the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, for us, sometimes the thought of our suffering and our homelessness is bitter beyond words. We don't forget those awful times we grieve over our losses. And yet we still dare to hope when we remember this, that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies, your mercies never cease. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies begin afresh each morning. And so we say to ourselves, the Lord is our inheritance. Therefore, we will hope in him. For we know the Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. And Father, this morning, may we be encouraged by the words of a teenage girl who was embarking on an adventure the likes of which no one else would ever experience. And we love you, for that adventure brought us redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. When our lives go badly, we show it, don't we? It affects our mood, it affects our words, it affects our relationships, it affects our outlook on life. We can get impatient, irritable, maybe complain. And when you, yet when you read this song, And if you only knew Mary from this song that she wrote, you'd never suspect that at the time she's writing this, she is an unmarried, pregnant teenager whose fiancé came this close to breaking up with her. Because after all, she's pregnant, and Joseph knows it's not his baby. And yet she sounds uh, just exuberant. She sounds excited. She sounds... Uh, happy beyond words. She sounds worshipful in this song. And this morning I want to take these couple of verses, especially 51 to 53, and hear what Mary has to say, I think, about the little baby that is within her womb. And then we're going to talk about uh, about Jesus, his life, Uh, we're going to talk about his work, and then we're going to talk about his mercy. Now, if you were alive when Jesus was here on planet Earth uh, doing his ministry and you had heard him preach and you had seen some of the amazing things that he had done and and somebody came to you who wasn't familiar with these things, they'd they'd say, uh, how would you describe Jesus to me? You might say something like, he's impressive. 
He's impressive. He, he was the son of a carpenter and his father taught him how to build things and how to repair things. But now, today, he's this riveting speaker and thousands follow him out in the wilderness to, to, to listen to him preach. Uh, he's not intimidated at all. He's, he has the ability to put his finger in the chest of the religious hypocrites around us. Uh, he doesn't align himself with the rich and the powerful. In fact, he speaks out for the poor. Uh, he, he is, he is uh, concerned about those who don't have resources. He is concerned about the, those who are demonized. He heals people. In fact, I've even heard he's raised several people from the dead. He's impressive. And yet when the angel told Mary that she was going to have a baby, this is how the angel described him. Over in verse 32. He will be very great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. In other words, instead of just being impressive, when Jesus was born and became a man and began his ministry, he was authoritative, very great, holy, Son of the Most High, in other words, Son of God, and King over Israel, not just for a season, not just for 12 years or so, but forever, authoritative. This was the reason that people who listened to Jesus recognized that he was not just an ordinary speaker. He's not just a Johnny-come-lately, not just an itinerant rabbi along with other rabbis. He fit in a crowd all by himself. And people would say about him as they did in Matthew 7, 29, he doesn't speak to us like the rest of our teachers do. He speaks as someone who has authority, someone who is authoritative, not just having that authority bestowed on him by other spiritual elites. He speaks as someone who has authority, and that's because he did, not just authority from a priest, but authority from God the Father himself. This is a rambling side note. I think this is the number two problem in American churches today. The authority of Jesus. The number one problem is the authority of Scripture. But the authority of Jesus, sometimes people can act as if I, I, um, I'm okay with Scripture. I believe it's the Word of God in general. I, 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 but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of the hard things that Jesus said, hmm. When Jesus admonishes me to forgive those who have wronged me instead of seeking revenge, hmm. How many times I've heard people say, but you don't know the magnitude of the hurt. And I'll, I'll say, you're right, I don't. And Jesus still says, forgive as you have been forgiven. When Jesus admonishes us, us about wealth, and we Americans are especially uncomfortable with this, and says wealth is a problem, it's a potential pitfall for you. We go, yeah. When Jesus says we're to give generously to those in need, we're like, yeah, but that person's in need because they've wasted their money foolishly. And you read Jesus' admonitions and scriptures, and there's not many caveats in there about ministering to, you understand what I'm saying? When Jesus, when the rubber meets the road and Jesus says, do this, 
Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus says, be this. Jesus says, don't be that. That's the authority of Christ, the Son of the Most High God. I think this is a problem in many of our churches. This is Jesus' life. He was uh, not just an impressive person. He was an, a, a person of authority because he came in the name of the Lord and was indeed the, the Son of God himself. But I want to focus on his work and his mercy for the rest of our time this morning. And especially in verses 51, 52, and 53, Mary talks about God. Let's, let's back up to verse 40, uh, 47. How my spirit praises, rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 49, for the mighty one is holy. She's obviously talking about God. He has done great things for me. And in 51, she starts saying, he has done this. He has done this. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down princes from their thrones. He has filled the hungry. Now, what would you think if I told you that I think she's talking not about God the Father, but about God the Son within her womb? Now, stick with me here. I, this is, could be a convoluted argument, especially if you don't like grammar. So in... English, we have basically three tenses and they all refer to time. We have past tense, refers to past time. We have the present tense that refers to right now. We have the future, refers to the sometime in the future. So we approach the scripture where English readers were reading the English text. But Luke wrote this, he recorded Mary's song in Greek, a far more precise language, especially when it comes to tenses. But the Greeks weren't they weren't as concerned about time in their tenses. They were more concerned about action, about the fact that something took place rather than when it took place, especially in the tense that Mary uses here, the aorist tense. And that tense can refer to the past. And you, you and I would think about, he has done something. If uh, we would say, um, my daughter, went, is, she's in her second semester in college, and she has made friends, she has made friends at college. She may have made them in October and November of last year, and now it's March, and she made those friends back there, but she still has them as friends. So it was, it was an action in the past, has continuing impact in the future. That's how we think about it. has. But this aorist tense can actually speak about the future. There's a specific way that it's used in some cases where it talks about the future. And I think that Mary is talking not about what God has done in the past, but about what her son is going to do in the future. I think that this is a prophecy that Mary gave about her future. Some scholars would agree with me, some wouldn't. The really smart ones would. <laughs> because this is what, this is the great reversal you look at what she says about God. It could be speaking about something that God has done in the past, but it sounds as if she's talking about someone that's going to do something, uh, not just on occasion, but as uh, uh, this would be typical. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. 
the great reversal, the poor are going to become rich, the rich are going to become poor, the exalted are going to be made much of, and the, those who are now made much of are going to take the lower spots. Now let me try to prove this to you by taking you to Luke 4. Beginning of Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry, verse 14. <clears throat> we've had the baptism of Jesus, we've had the temptation of Jesus, Verse 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with Holy Spirit's power and reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Of course, that's going to change in the days ahead. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. And you could read this in your Bible in Isaiah 61, the first couple of verses. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Are you tracking? Predicted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Jesus reads these words from Isaiah 61, and he says, you're here today, this text is being fulfilled today. What did he mean? Now, he sent me, my father has sent me to bring good news to the poor. My father has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free. Now, every, they could have dismissed synagogue and everybody going out to the local jail in Nazareth and there would still be prisoners there. There would still be beggars along the side of the road asking for alms. There would still be the poor. There would still be those oppressed by Rome. So what did Jesus mean? He meant that today I am inaugurating, I am beginning the kingdom of God that God will in his time bring to fulfillment on the earth. And so there are whispers of the kingdom there were whispers as Jesus began to move out among people he would heal those who had diseases but not all he would make the blind see but not all he would expel demons from people but not all he would raise the dead but not all why because as theologians say the kingdom was now but not yet there are Touches of the kingdom, but its fullness is not here. That day is yet future when Jesus comes back. The great reversal is not fully here, and that's why we grieve over injustice. That's why we grieve over sorrow. That's why we grieve over loss. And waiting for the great reversal can be problematic for us. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 73, Asaph wrote this one. Beginning of verse two. 
he says, as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong, they don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? I mean, look at all these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. The great reversal has not yet fully taken place. There are touches of the kingdom now. We sometimes see justice in our courts, but we still see injustice. We sometimes see and maybe even experience healing in our bodies, but many of us don't experience that. We, we sometimes see that marriage put together, and yet I know of husbands and wives who are now waiting decades for their former spouse to come back to them, and they haven't. We know grief and we know loss because the kingdom is not fully here. But listen to Asaph's reminder, verse 17. And then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. In other words, there's a different destiny ahead when the fullness of the great reversal comes in for those who are wicked. And conversely, there's a different future for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ when the fullness of the kingdom once comes. While today might might not be best for you, it may not be great, your tomorrow will be. And now we go to verse 50 and Luke 1 and talk about the mercy, the mercy that Mary, I think, prophesies about. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. You know, we could interview people all over the globe and most of us would have common goals. We want to find someone to spend our lives with that we can love and be loved by. We want to live in a secure country, secure community. We, we want to have opportunities for our children as they grow up. Uh, we, we want to have a, a growing income and have greater opportunities for ourselves. And we would love to have good friends and we would love to see some of the world. Most people share common goals. But when someone is struck by the fact that God, a God who runs the universe is holy and they are not, their preeminent goal changes. There's a reason that people who are extraordinarily wealthy put a gun to their heads sometimes. There's a reason that some people who are extraordinarily successful and have the acclaim of more people than they ever dreamed of say, my life has been worthless. When we come face to face that the one who made us and the one who oversees the universe is holy and we are not, 
suddenly our goal becomes preeminent. How can I be reconciled with this one who made me and this one who holds me accountable? The most urgent thing in life then becomes, how can I find mercy? And brothers and sisters, the Christmas story is the ultimate story of mercy. It's the ultimate story of mercy. Not that God came to earth and put his finger in our chest and say, what are you going to do to be right with me? What are you going to do to correct your horrific lifestyle? What are you going to do to make amends for all that you have done in the past? And instead he comes himself and puts his own hands out and gives of himself the ultimate mercy trip. And how do we acquire that mercy? Listen to what Mary says. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Now, a lot of times we don't really understand what mercy is. For you country western, um, country music fans, Brett Young wrote a song last year called Mercy, right? Any of you know it? Uh, not very many. Interesting. Uh, YouTube that has 135 million views, so I figured it was really popular. But it's interesting. It's a story about a man, either his girlfriend or his wife is maybe going to leave him. Uh, it's like she can't really make up her mind, and he, he basically says, you know, either, either go, uh, you know, don't go, you know, don't kind of stay in this limbo area, and he keeps saying, have mercy. And I listen to the song over and over and over. I'm like, dude, you don't understand mercy. Mercy is when we don't get the destruction, the discipline, the judgment that we rightfully deserve. And I say Brett didn't understand mercy because in the lyrics of the song, there's no wrong that he has done to this woman. What he really means is have kindness toward me. Show loyalty toward me. But mercy is when we are rightfully condemned and the person that owes us the condemnation and judgment decides not to impose it. Show mercy. Back to our Stauffer story. Last month, Mary Stauffer, who was raped for 53 days in a row, told a paper in Minnesota this. We continue to pray for Ming. That's her attacker. We continue to pray for Ming because God is so merciful. Here's a woman who understands the magnitude of the mercy that has been shown to her. And she realizes God could even show it to Ming. After all these years in prison. Unrepentant. Because God is so merciful. That's human mercy toward another. Jesus is God's mercy toward us. Who's eligible? Not those who are especially good or have a religious pedigree. Not even those who live in poverty. You know, increasingly, we, with a, our millennial generation, one of the great things about this generation is a, is a greater heart for the poor and the needy in the world. But in some cases, they're elevating the poor as if they are... Um, they are 
uh, righteous by virtue of their poverty. And brothers and sisters, there's gonna be poor people in hell just like there's gonna be rich people in hell. None of this matters. Only, as Mary says, only those who fear him. And we receive this mercy in Jesus Christ. It's a, a deliverance, a mercy of deliverance once for all. Paul says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14 that we have been rescued from the kingdom of, Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and we have been transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. But there's another piece of mercy for those who already know Christ and that is the, what I call the mercies of help. Listen to these wonderful words in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. So let us, this is speaking to believers, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Those are good words for people who are, have not yet fully experienced the great reversal that's going to come when Jesus returns to our world. And I want to just speak to uh, all of us because as I said at the beginning, I think all of us want our lives to be different than they are right now. For some of you, you want physical healing. You hurt so bad. For some of you, you want relational healing. There's, there's, there's a rift, maybe with your spouse, maybe with, with your children, or maybe with a, a, a good friend, maybe with somebody in the church. Uh, for, for others of you, the, you don't know that any, anything's ever going to improve for you financially. You had things go south. Maybe it was investments. Maybe you lost a job. And, and it's like, I don't know. This could be my life. I'm barely going to survive the rest of my life. But for all of us, we have some things that we long to have be better. Ten days until Christmas, right? And again, think about when you were a child. Such anticipation, such eagerness for that day. The gifts especially, but maybe going to grandma and grandpa's as well. Just the time off school, there's such eagerness for that. But you could never move December 25th up. You ever think about that? You couldn't. And, and even if you badgered your parents, I, I want Christmas to come now. And they go, well, December 25th is December 25th. You're going to have to wait until it comes. And there is a day appointed for Jesus to come back. And we can't hurry it up. It'll come when it comes. But when that day comes, all the wrongs that you currently experience are going to be righted once and for all. That's the great news of the kingdom. Is that God who's delivered people, a people unto himself will one day make all things right for them. And that's the reason that we're admonished in Romans not to take revenge. We're not to try to get even. God's going to right all wrongs one day on his own account. And we can praise God for him then. And so I encourage encourage you, keep your eyes on the December 25th of Jesus' return when God makes all things right, all things new. The day that your pains go away, the day that your relationship 
problems are all righted in an incredibly uh, amazing, permanent way. The day when money doesn't matter anymore because you have the riches of the king at your disposal. Glory to God. Father, we love you. And we're so grateful that a day is coming when all the wrongs are going to be righted, when the world is turned right side up. Uh, never to be, um, that's never going to change then after that. And, and eternity in your presence, uh, and think of that kingdom that Jesus administers even here on earth, that thousand years when he rules with a rod of iron. No longer will people go into courtroom uh, worried about whether or not the, the opposing attorney is going to influence a judge so that he issues an unjust judgment. None of that. The justice will be perfect. The, the climate will be perfect. Um, our bodies will be perfect. Uh, all things will be made new. Not because we've had enough money stored up to make it new, not because we saw the right doctor or because we hired the right attorney, but because we had the right reconciler in Jesus. We pray in his name.